Well, we are here to um, study the Word of God, and so why don't we gather together in prayer and let's seek the help um, and aid of the Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us. Let us pray. Most gracious and loving Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day that you have made, and we rejoice and are glad in it because you are in it, and we are with you and with one another. We're grateful for all the many ways that you love us and provide for us, for all the many ways that you disclose yourself to us and that you offer and share your love to us. In this moment, O oh Lord, as we gather for Bible study, as we look into your sacred word in Scripture, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would grant us wisdom, and that you would clothe us with your love. I pray, O oh Lord, for my sisters in Christ here present in the sanctuary and for all of your people who may be watching this after the fact, that your blessing um, would extend to each one and to all. And we pray, O Lord, that all that we say and do would be well-pleasing to you, that would glorify the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. So today's, uh, today's text is a lengthy one, and if it's okay, we'll dispense with the reading. Otherwise, it would take us about 10 to 15 minutes to read it. It's uh, 56 verses. We're looking at Luke chapter 8. And when I looked at the text assignment that Jack gave me, <clears throat> I said, wow, 56 verses. I mean, how do you do this? How do you read it in a, in a context like here at, and at La Costa Glen and at Men's Bible Study and then talk about it? And I read it again, read it again. And there's actually three movements. So it's actually not as overwhelming as it appears in, in the 45 minutes that we have together. So three movements, very bite-sized, talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God. And that's not a typo. Kingdom and kingdom um, are kin, our family members. Um, this term was coined by the late Cuban uh, theologian, Dr. Ada Maria Isasi Diaz. She actually taught at the um, university I got my PhD at, at Drew University, and she wanted to speak about um, the nature of family and the, and the struggle of particularly uh, Latina and Hispanic women for freedom and how they engage the faith uh, through their lives as mothers, as grandmothers, and so forth, and how the power of family, the, the power of community in engaging and nurturing faith. And so, what we see here, and I wanted to borrow that term, that when we speak about and when the scriptures speak about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, um, connected there, as we'll see in the text shortly, is also the kingdom of God. Um, that we are not only citizens of God's kingdom, we are also members of the household of God. We are sisters and brothers, siblings in the faith. And what's going on in, in Luke and in so many other places in Scripture is that God is bringing community, God is bringing uh, citizens of the kingdom, God is bringing together family. And how do we live out being family one to another? How do we welcome uh, those who are not yet part of the family and that we offer generous hospitality um, to them? Recall that when we began this uh, Bible study series on the gospel according to Luke, I think uh, Jack had, had shared how Luke and Acts go together, right? The book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles and the gospel according to Luke are uh, believed to be 
written by the same community. And so that when we read Acts, we look at Luke and we see how they mutually inform each other. I've said before that there's at least three prevalent themes in, in the book of Acts and therefore in the gospel according to Luke. The first agenda and the first theme is that um, God's people in the first century, in the early church, as Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, they're trying to figure out who is this Jesus of Nazareth? What was the core of his teachings? And how do we understand those teachings? Um, and try to get that teaching right, the gospel. What's the core of the gospel and how do we get that right? Because uh, present, future generations need to know uh, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And, and uh, what was he about? What was the kingdom of God about? And his message of love. The second prevalent theme is about the covenant, the place of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, how do we understand that the one covenant of God, the living God, the God of our patriarchs and matriarchs, how is it that Gentiles are, have always been included in that covenant, but now even more, um, as the gospel is being sent out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, what is the relationship of Jews and Gentiles? And as we know that there was some conflict, some division, some fighting among the apostles about that understanding of Jews and Gentiles, that in fact they are part of the one kingdom and kingdom. The third prevalent theme is, therefore, how to live that out, how to live out our claims that Jesus Christ is Lord, how to live out the claim that we are people of the way, how do we live out the claim that we are to offer a distinctive witness to the surrounding culture, to the surrounding communities, that we are ones beloved of God, we are children of God, we are family. And so, so attending to the behaviors and attitudes, attending to the ethics, how do we bear witness of the gospel, not only in words, but also in how we relate to one another inside the family and outside. And hopefully that that translates into love, into hospitality, into kindness, into feeding the poor, and lending aid to all those who are needing help. And so those are at least three of the prevalent themes, and therefore Luke also has those themes. Um, Luke is concerned about those same things because the stories that are, that are being narrated for us in Luke, again, it's being narrated decades after it has happened. The early church is using those stories to inform and shape those three themes how to carry out the gospel, how to live it out, and so on and so forth. So it's through those lenses that we then engage this chapter in, in Luke. And so let's look at these uh, sections, and I put three, broke down these 56 verses into three sections. So the first section, which is verses one through three, briefly describes who are the members of the kingdom or the kingdom up to that point of Jesus's ministry. And we'll see the significance of, of why the text mentions um, those particular folks. Second section, uh, which is approximately verses 4 through 19, what does it mean to be in the kingdom? And in those verses, verses 4 through 19, it is about listening. 
And the two parables that are there, the parable of the so-called four soils, or the sower, and the so-called parable of the uh, lamp and the jar, the lamp and the, the lamp and the table, the theme there is the quality of listening. Listening as a marker of those who are in the kingdom of God. And then the third section, verses 22 through 56, again, what does it mean about being in the kingdom of God? And here it's about perception, perceiving, seeing, beholding. Okay, so those are the three sections, members of the kingdom of God, and then what does it mean? How are we listening? And how are we seeing? And so, Let's now uh, jump into this text. And by the way, the term kingdom of God, I've mentioned this um, in prior Bible studies, right? The kingdom of God, that phrase that's used in the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Luke likes to use that term as well, kingdom of God. And what is meant by kingdom of God? Um, there's at least like three, three or four ways that that can be looked at. And I've used the illustration yesterday at the at La Costa Glen. So, when someone were to say, La Costa Glen is allowing us to meet in the Laguna Room for Bible study. Now, clearly, the building and the sign called La Costa Glen isn't speaking. Right? There's no mouth on the building that says, "Okay, you could meet in in the in the Laguna Room." that by saying La Costa Glen is allowing us to meet in the Laguna Room for Bible study, that means one of several things. It means the management, the management has allowed it. It could also mean, if it were a pure uh, democracy like ancient Athens, that all 850 residents of La Costa Glen took a vote to allow for our Bible study group to meet at at the Laguna Room, so it could mean that, the residents that make up La Costa Glen. It could also mean, third, the uh, decision of the management and of the residents. So the actual policy or the actual contract or the actual announcement that goes out. So just by saying that phrase, La Costa Glen said, it could be one or a combination or all of those three. So when we say kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is present, the kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God is like this, when Jesus tells a parable or a story. The kingdom of God is like. He's likely speaking about himself as the king of kings, the sovereign, the monarch of the kingdom. He could also be referring to the people. We are members of the kingdom of God. Or third, and or third, he could also be talking about what he says and what he does, or what the people say and what they do. And so, depending on what the story is and what the context is, that's what um, is going on in these parables, whether it's here in Luke chapter 8 or in other parables or stories when he talks about the kingdom of God. And so, when he says the kingdom of God is near or the kingdom of God is coming, he likely, and, and most often is the case, he's, he's referring to himself, his presence, wherever he is, the kingdom of God is present. Um, he is displaying 
the power, the majesty of God, uh, that he rules and reigns over sin, death, over the storm, as we'll see, over the demons, as we'll see, over illness, as we'll see. He rules and reigns over that. But also, wherever he's present, he's always engaging with people to perhaps invite them or to let them know you are members of that kingdom and therefore here is your responsibility. Here's how you live it out. Here is the obligations. Here's the expectations of what it means to be members of that kingdom, right? And so that's what's going on there in that phrase, uh, kingdom of God. And so let's look at the first section, uh, the first three verses, members of the kingdom of God and describe there. So Jesus is in the region of Galilee and At this point in his ministry, the 12 disciples are there as well as, and it describes there that those who were healed, some of the women who were healed from their infirmities, like Mary Magdalene, like Joanna, and like Susanna, and then it says, and many others. Um, So he's beginning to have a following. So it's not just the 12 disciples, there are a lot of other disciples. And then it adds this, who provided for them or in some manuscripts, who provided for him out of their resources. Now, why is that important? Because remember that Jesus told his disciples to keep their pack light, right? Just bring your your walking stick. Wherever you go, go to a town, and they'll take care of you. And if they don't welcome you, dust off your feet, say peace, be with you, and then go on to the next town. Now, remember, Luke and Acts go together, and Acts, the church is already going out, place to place, town to town, sharing the gospel. And so the early church latches on to that story, to this story in Luke 8, and says, okay, as we are going out, as Jesus and his disciples in his early on in his ministry, as their needs are being met, so will ours. As we go out, the resources that we'll need, food, shelter, etc., God will provide. Now, I shared with you all, for those of you who were here in the sanctuary on Sunday about the uh, pilgrimage that we had at the community of Santiago, one of the three lessons that Daniel and I were told and that we found in our month-long journey was indeed the Camino provides for you at the right time, at the right time when we thought we didn't know where, where uh, we would fill up our 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 water bottles because we were running out of water and it was so hot in some places and we were getting hungry, where would we get, you know, our, our thirst to be quenched and our, and our stomachs to be filled because the next village or the next cafe was 10 miles away and our bodies were aching and lo and behold, oh, there's, there's David and you'll see him if you see my PowerPoint presentation, there's David who set up an oasis in the middle of this, of this barren land in the heat with a tent, with a table of food, watermelon and apples and bread and peanut butter and jelly and juice and, and cafe con leche and not even asking for payment, just a donation if you're able to. And then again and again we found that those things, people at the right time, right? The Camino provides, the Lord provides. That indeed, if the Lord desires for his word to go out, to be proclaimed, he'll be sure 
that his messengers will be taken care of. And so those verses, this first section, the kingdom of God, your needs will be taken care of as Jesus himself, his needs, were taken care of in his ministry. And that's also a call for those of us in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, let's take care of each other. Let's support each other. Let's encourage each other. If there is a sister or brother in Christ that it's, that's in need of help, need of assistance, let's encourage one another and support one another because all of us are called together to live out our calling in Jesus Christ. So the second section. The second section is about, so what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? Um, what does it mean to be members of the household of God? And here in this section, I suggest that these, uh, uh, um, that these two parables, the parable of the sower or the parable of the uh, soil and the parable of the lamp under a jar is about how to listen. Are we listening, but how are we listening? How are we listening? And when a crowd tells Jesus, oh, your mother and brothers are waiting outside, and he says there in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, right? That's confirmation that, oh, okay, all that Jesus has instructed to us, has it penetrated the heart? Has it sunk into our hearts, and are we living out because his word is what the Father desires of us, right, for our, for our well-being? So, he demonstrates this with the two parables, and these parables, I think, are, are familiar to, um, to all of you. Again, the parable of the soils or the sower, likening the Word of God, Jesus' teaching, to seeds that have been, um, that have been put on soils, and, and what are the kinds of soils? Is, is our hearts uh, the good soil that, that receives it, that it penetrates inside? Is it, is it rocky soil? that it just lands at the top and it doesn't really uh, go in? Or is it landing on soil that is immediately choked up by the thorns and by the weeds? Jesus likening the thorns and weeds to the cares of the world. Again, our hearts are not always, um, are not always thorny, are not always rocky, are not always good soil, right? There are seasons of our life where we're either more uh, willing, if you will, or it's, our hearts are, are, are readied to receive. Sometimes we do have cares of the world um, that, that, that choke it up, that choke up the word. Whatever season you are in your life, this is where we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's why whenever we engage the scriptures, whether it be in sermon or in Bible study, we always, always, always pray to the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, that the Holy Spirit will be like a, like a, like a sword that penetrates into our hearts, uh, cutting through all of the, the sinews of our hearts to open it up so that the word would, would come in. Because otherwise, without the word and the spirit, um, we would only go on our, on our plain intellect. And we really need the spirit to help us to listen. Help us to listen. And so here in these, uh, in these parables, it's like, okay, so... Where is your heart? Where is our heart? And how is the Spirit helping us to listen um, to, to His Word? Are, are we listening? And then how are we listening? 
Uh, we need the aid of the Spirit to help us to not only listen, but also to understand. And then he goes on to that parable that says, okay, once the word is in your heart, once the truth of God and his love has been disclosed to you, what are you going to do with it? Are you listening to how the Spirit is, might be moving you to share that word, to, 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 to show forth that light, right? And here, hopefully, if, you're, if we're listening to the Spirit, we're not hiding the truth in a jar. We're not hiding it under a table. That because the truth has been now placed into our hearts and in our lives and in the church, are we bearing witness? Are we, are we listening to how the Spirit might be telling us, here's the time to share it. Here's the way to do it. Here's the place to go that takes prayer. It takes an intentional listening to where is the Spirit leading me and us to go? I know over the years I've been with you all for almost eight years, and it's, you know, I've, I've heard from a number of folks in the church of, you know, uh, Pastor Neil, uh, I've been praying for my loved one. I've been praying for my loved one to come to church. I've been praying for my loved one to believe in Jesus. And if some of you recall, when I've um, offered a pastoral care, pastoral word to you all, I've consistently said, and I think Jack and Jan say the same thing, just keep praying and keep sharing. Keep sharing the word of God with your loved one and in the right time. In the right time, the Spirit will, will, will melt their heart and will show forth His truth. And that's why, you know, even after we have preached a sermon months and months later or years and years later and, and, and we hear a word of, oh, wow, that sermon from long ago or that Bible study long ago, that really touched my heart. It's because we don't know when the Spirit will speak to us and open his word to us, when that convicting word will transform a life um, in a marvelous and wonderful way, right? And so, how are we listening to the Spirit? And in your, in your small groups, I put there a question for you to share with each other. Think of that palpable, that, that, that memorable time in your life. Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was this morning, that the that you really felt and experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What was the Spirit saying to you in that, in that moment? Right? And that, I think, will make some good, some good discussion in your, in your small group. So then the third section. The third section there on verses 22 through 56. To be in the king, kingdom is to also see. Jesus is apprenticing or training our eyes of faith. What are we perceiving? What are we discerning? How are we seeing the work of God uh, beyond what is evident and visible? There is more than meets the eye. For instance, when we look outside, a meteorologist will simply say, today is, today is 48 degrees in Rancho Santa Fe. By 11 a.m., it's going to be 73 degrees, which, by the way, it is. It's hard to believe that, that in an hour or so, the, the temperature will be 30 degrees warmer than what it is now. 
right? A, a meteorologist will say that. It's, it's blue skies now here in the East Coast, the Nor'easter. Pray for the people in the Northeast, right, in the Midwest. Bomb cyclone, was it called, and the atmospheric river. Wow, that's a vivid descriptions of the uh, weather events in the, in the past couple of days. So that's a surface level. Is the Spirit helping us to discern and to behold beyond the beautiful skies and the temperature and so forth that we can say, God, who is creative, created this. That God is beautiful. God created the beauty of creation. Can we go even deeper and say, that living God who is creative, who created this beauty of his creation, we give thanks. We worship that God. And maybe even deeper, we give thanks to that God, and he loves us in Jesus Christ. Right? The Spirit leads us to that. So beyond what we see. Now, that example is something that is something that's good. What about here in this text where there's something so challenging, like the storm? Jesus taking a nap in the midst of the storm. The disciples in the boat. I put it in your outline that that the picture of storm or the dark sea, uh, the, the depths of the water. In the Old Testament, water, particularly the, the deep waters, it was used as a, as a literary uh, image for something that is unknown, where Leviathan, the unknown monster, lurks. The mystery of the unknown, and therefore it could induce fear. And I gave you some references in Psalm and in the book of Job, where the image of that, of that watery, that watery mystery. And so when the text focuses on the storm or in other places, Jesus walking on water and they're fearful. Yes, it is fearful because, okay, this is, is he an apparition, but also that, that sense of, oh, we're in the midst of this, of this vast sea of the unknown, here their anxiety and fear are magnified. Storm-tossed boat in the midst of the vastness of the sea and Jesus taking a nap. So the question is, what are you perceiving? What are you beholding? Do you see even God's work even in the midst of that, even when the Son of God, the King of kings, the ruler of the kingdom of God, even if he's taking a nap? Can we be non-anxious? Can we be at peace? Because there's something more than meets the eye. And indeed, that's what happens, right? Jesus calms a storm. He shows that he's the Lord even over the weather. And so, based on that then, the next scene, when he goes to the region of Gerasa, sees the Gerasenes, and more than meets the eye, here's this man that had been disregarded by his community. He acts, in their minds, crazy, being plagued by not one demon, not one evil spirit, but a legion 
a legion of demons. A legion is thousands of troops that have thousands of evil spirits that have inhabited his body. More than meets the eye, do we behold? On the first level, it's like, no, this man is, should just be left on his own. But Jesus sees something more in that man. A beloved child of God that needs to be freed. That needs to be freed from from these uh, legions of demons that have plagued his humanity, that has plagued his existence. And so more than meets the eye, do the disciples who were with Jesus, and do we with them perceive what the Son of God is about? Okay, he is one who is more than able and willing to free even this man. Now, the text adds a little conversation there because those same demons identify Jesus rightly. Oh, you're the Son of God. So this is not just about Jesus showing his power over the demons. It is that, but it's a further confirmation of his identity. Oh, he is the Son of God. He is. He is the one who's in charge more than meets the eye. Do we perceive what he's about to do? And by the way, I've, I've I think I've shared this story before. My late maternal grandmother, she never liked pork, spam, or pork chops. When I was a kid, I asked her why, and she pointed to this story. Well, well, Neil, it's because that Jesus put the uh, demons in the, in the swine, and therefore pork chops must have, the, must have evil spirits. I said, Grandma, I don't know if that's right. And, you know, and I, what, I didn't know any better. I wasn't a student of the Bible at that time, but uh, here's the um, that funny anecdote. Whenever I look at this story, I think of my grandma pudding and her aversion to pork products. But I digress. And so that story of, so what does it mean to be a member of the family? In other words, Jesus is saying, don't give up. Don't give up on someone who is a member of the family. Don't give up on this man. Because what you see as someone who is demon-possessed, as someone who's forgotten, as someone who's just cast aside, he sees a child of God. And so what he's doing is he's training the eyes of faith of his disciples. Then and now, do we see others, someone, someone or people who may have been set aside for whatever reason, but God sees, no, this is a beloved child who needs to know that they are loved in Jesus. And so he goes on to the next, to the next scenes. The healing of a woman who was hemorrhaging, and the healing of a, the daughter of a man who he and his family and townspeople thought that she was dead. In both instances, Jesus again showing, do you perceive something else? Because I do. He heals. He awakens the daughter. And she lives. Now, these stories are also training the disciples for even something even greater than these healing stories. For we know, as Jesus will testify, and that's why he tells the, he tells the demons, keep quiet. He tells all of those who he heals, try not to spread the word that I healed you. 
because he wants them to wait until his resurrection. That all of these healings, all of these miracles, need to be seen in light of his resurrection. Because apart from the resurrection, all of these wonder-working miracles of healing, of changing the water to wine, of multiplying the loaves and the fishes, on and on it goes, that all those things in isolation, separate from the resurrection, they would just seem as like entertainment. They will be regarded as, oh, here is this magician who's doing all these wonderful things like a circus act. And Jesus is no circus act. Jesus is no magician. And that all these things that he's doing are in order to demonstrate that he, Jesus Christ, is in charge of the weather. He could take care of the weather. He's in charge of illness. He's in charge of, um, of all those things. He's in, charge of, uh, uh, um, he's in charge of death itself. And that in the cross, in his death, and in the resurrection, he will show decisively that all those miracles were just all leading up to the resurrection. Because that's the preeminent wonder. That's the preeminent miracle, if you will. And so he wants to train and apprentice all of us to that the power of the gospel lies in the cross and in the resurrection where he will show that he is the ruler and he reigns over death itself as he desires new life, newness of life for each and all of us. And so there we go. That is uh, Luke chapter 8, the kingdom and kingdom of God, and therefore the God of that kingdom, the God of the kingdom. Uh, that God is the one who is powerfully loving toward us in Jesus Christ. All right. And some of the questions that I put here for your, for your small groups. You know, what does it mean that the kingdom of God is present and will come? Um, what does it mean to belong to the kingdom of God? Um, what does this chapter teach us about the God of that kingdom? Um, what does it mean to listen versus hearing? And what does it mean to behold versus seeing? And then, of course, um, reflect with your small groups that palpable, that memorable time that God's presence and power, that you were aware of God's presence. And what did you listen what did you perceive? Ensure that. I think that will be a, make for a powerful uh, sharing in your, in your small groups. I don't see any hands or anyone motioning to the microphone, and so let's look to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious and loving God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for your Spirit, who leads us and guides us, who helps us to listen to your word, who helps us to perceive and behold your presence and your power among us, even though that, that you may not be readily uh, present that we could perceive because of life and the struggles that we have and the challenges that we face. Help us, O oh God, to rely upon you and that you would help us each and every day to perceive and to, to perceive your presence, to perceive your love, and to listen to your spirit and your word so that we may more fully and deeply 
follow you and your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, O Lord, for my friends here, that, O Lord, you would be in their small group discussions, and beyond that, that you would continue to accompany us on our life and faith's journey as we seek to follow Jesus for life, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless everyone. Take care.